Hey, soccer fans, this is Nick for Sons of a Pitch Soccer Central. We are back with our weekly recap, talking all things Major League Soccer and, of course, U.S. men's national team and Canadian men's national team as they are in their final international break, their final tune-up for World Cup 2022 in Qatar. We are talking soccer here on this Monday, September 26th. And in the first half of tonight's show, we're going to look at the U.S. men's national team, their games against Japan and Saudi Arabia, and then the Canadian men's national team's games against Qatar, Qatar, whatever you want to pronounce it, uh, as well as Uruguay. In the second half of the show, we are going to take a look at some of the MLS playoff standings, make sure we don't forget where everyone's teams sit. We're going to check out a little of the League's Cup showcase and discuss a few headlines from around the league. And if we've got some stoppage time, we're going to be taking questions and comments from you, our viewers, live on YouTube during this chat. But in the meantime, let's get that intro music to get us pumped. Once again, soccer fans, I am Nick here talking all things USMNT, Canadian men's national team, and MLS as we are doing our weekly recaps at Sons of a Pitch Soccer Central. Thank you for joining us, whether you're on the podcast, whether you're on YouTube, or whether you are listening to our new affiliation over on Goals.TV. That's G-O-L-Z.TV. Uh, we have signed a licensing agreement with them where they're going to be running some of our recent videos and content on their website, and they are aggregating as much quality soccer content as they can over on their website. They just launched today, September 26th. We got a few of our videos up as well as other people who've been producing content all around the web. So make sure you go over, check out goals, G-O-L-Z dot TV, look up Sons of a Pitch Soccer Central. And check out the videos. Watch them over there as well if you need to. And uh, always make sure that you're supporting us wherever our endeavors take us. So thank you again for joining us. And if you want to continue to support the show, click an ad, click the like button, subscribe, send us a super chat or a super thanks via YouTube here. And if you really enjoy what we do and want to get involved with us in a in a more meaningful and a more fuller way. You can always contact us on Twitter at SOP Soccer or via email, sonsofapitchsoccer at gmail.com. And we can talk about sponsorships and getting your company and your brand affiliated with the Sons of a Pitch. All right. That was a lot of housekeeping. Let's take this show international because we are talking USMNT. We are talking Canadian men's national team. We are talking World Cup prep. And I want to thank Rocky at Talking to Woods. I want to thank Angus McCorder. I want to thank Brother BKL Contreras for already jumping in and joining us in the chat. Looking forward to hearing what you guys have to think about all this stuff here. So our first game that we're going to look at is the United States game against Japan, played over in Dusseldorf, Germany, a 2-0 defeat at the hands of the Japanese Football Federation there. Two takeaways initially from this game. Uh, they played really, really poorly. That's the big takeaway. And the other takeaway is we didn't see their true starting 11, their best players, due to some injuries and knocks, right? 
Uh, Christian Pulisic didn't play. Anthony Robinson didn't play. Chris Richards didn't play. I don't even know if Yunus Musa is at this camp because he's dealing with some injuries as well. So you're out three or four penciled in starters. But you know what? It's been, I think, a strength of the U.S. team is that because when Berhalter came in, he had such a big player pool to work with because he had a clean slate. He barely rolled with any veterans, and we knew that anyone who was going to be in the 2018 World Cup was not going to be playing in the 2022 World Cup. So he essentially had a clean slate to work with. So they had depth. They've got a big pool of players that they can put in, guys that they've used throughout this last World Cup qualifying window, whether it be World Cup qualifying or whether it be Gold Cup, Nations League, other friendlies, they have a depth of players now. Even though they're not all at the top tier level internationally, there's a depth of players in this pool right now. So even though we've had these injuries and guys out, that shouldn't have affected the United States as much as it did. And it really shouldn't have affected how their intensity level was, how motivated they were when they came up, as well as just some bad play. But we'll get into that. Let's take a quick look at who started for the United States in this game against Japan. You had Matt Turner in goal, and along your back line, Sam Vines, Aaron Long, Walker Zimmerman, and Sergio Dest. The midfield group was Weston McKenney, Tyler Adams, and Luca De La Torre, and your offensive attacking players, Gio Reyna, Jesus Ferreira, and Brendan Aronson. So again, not a shabby lineup, not a lineup that you would think would play so poorly. Now, we did see pretty much some line changes by Greg Berhalter as the game went on. At halftime, he brought in Morris, Sargent, McKenzie, and Cannon. And in the 67th minute, he had Malik Tillman and Johnny Cardoso come in. I was a little surprised to see Cardoso get into this camp. Uh, I don't know too much about him. He's playing down in the Brazilian League, but it's great that he's on the radar and can kind of break in with this USMNT team. Here's one other aside that I will say, speaking of Cardoso, speaking of Ricardo Pepe, a lot of people are like, oh, Pepe scored one goal since his last in the last year. Why is he here? You need continuity. You need guys with experience. You need these young players who in the next two or even three, in some of their cases, qualifying windows can look at the 19 and 20 year olds at that point and say, hey, man, I've been here. I've been in your shoes. This is what it takes to elevate your game and to compete at the international level and at the World Cup level. So I, I'm really liking as far as a roster building move from what Burhalter is doing and creating this kind of institutional memory to use a corporate phrase there. So I'm, I'm liking that. But here's what really it came down to. The U.S. did not perform. They were not up for the game. Even Burhalter said it afterwards coaches weren't prepared players weren't prepared managers weren't prepared like nobody was ready for this game and he spread spread the blame around and then if you really want to identify what was going on just look at some of these offensive statistics here right zero shots on goal one chance created and two corner kicks nothing going on the offensive side of the ball there nothing at all right and we even have rocky saying essentially a star usa lineup gets owned by japan is not a good sign i might have more hope for canada i mean canada being in the group of death gonna be really tough for them but the way canada played against qatar is what we expected the u.s to come out and play against japan so rocky it's hard to disagree with you there angus McCorder even says hey 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 the usmnt 
would really hang their heads if they lose to Saudi Arabia. To me, that would kind of derail everything. At that point, you almost have to, if they lose to Saudi Arabia and they play poorly and they get away from the principles of play that Greg Berhalter has been trying to instill in them, you almost might have to just blow everything up and just bunker and counter for 270 minutes in World Cup group stage. Because if you play against Saudi Arabia still, there is something wrong with, with that player pool. And we know, though, that the players have bought in. They've, they've all given their interviews. They've all made their comments. They've been asked about it. Everyone kind of buys into what Burr is playing here. Let's see. Brother BKL says, Jesus Ferreira is not a 9. He only plays as a 10. Well, he's been playing, you know what, 9 or a 10. I know a lot of people keep saying, we want a 9. We want a true 9. We want a number 9. We need a guy in the box who can score goals. I don't care if he starts off as a 10 or if he's playing as a 9, wherever that position is, right? Get on the ball and score goals. My knock on Ferreira is he usually needs about five or six opportunities to get one or two really, really good shots off and find the back of the net. When you're at the World Cup level, you get maybe two. You get maybe two looks, and they're not even good looks, right? The game is that much faster. Defenders are that much smarter and better. And he's going to need to convert that one or two opportunities he's going to get. I would expect to see a lot more of Josh Sargent in this second game. Even if Ferrer may not play at all, if it's Sargent for 60 and then Pepe for 30 or vice versa, if they're split in halves even. So um, Ferrer needs to make the most of his opportunities if he ends up getting in. Hey, we got Connor No Soccer jumping in the chat as well. Connor, welcome, man. Always good to have you. And he says Aaron Long just wrote himself out of the World Cup roster. He did not do well at all. Dest had to cover him a lot in the first half. Yeah, and that's the hardest thing about playing Serginho Dest. We're going to talk about the center backs because they – let's talk about the center backs, Connor, since you bring it up. The first goal and a lot of the trouble with the United States, not only did they not generate offense, they could not sustain possession – uh, and build from the back, from the middle, they turned it over a lot. And you saw Walker Zimmerman and Aaron Long making poor passes. You even had Weston McKenney turning the ball over. Not typical for him. I'm not too worried about Weston McKenney, who's arguably the best player or most important player to this team, depending on who you ask. I don't want to get into that. But when you have Zimmerman and Long, guys who've played with each other for a little bit, I mean, it's not the Zimmerman-Robinson pairing we all would have wanted, but these guys have played for a little bit. Aaron Long's been in and out of national teams when he's not been injured. These guys should be playing a lot better together, not turning the ball over. And it's hard to see either one of them covering space for each other uh, when one of them has a turnover or gets pulled out of position or has to commit up. It's hard seeing the other making those recovery runs. So, yeah, Serginho Dest had to do that a lot. But we don't want to see Serginho Dest. The United States will not be effective if Serginho Dest is having to track back. He's most effective making those runs up the wing, putting pressure on the opposing defense, playing in some great crosses. I think he had a good one in this match that Ferreira just couldn't get on the end of or whoever it was. But that's what we want Dest to be doing. Plus, we know that's one of his weaknesses is one-on-one defending. He's got to work on that. Still young, but we're talking World Cup now. Excuses are out the window. Also, shout out, Dan Geringer. Thanks for jumping in the chat, man. Good evening to you. Glad you are here. Oh, and here, I love this comment from Rocky at Talking to Woods, our resident Portland Timbers superfan. Eric Williamson should have been a depth piece at minimum. He was a part of two cup finals before his injury, uh, Gold Cup Nations League. 
and plenty of knockout play experience. I am actually a big fan of Eric Williamson. This was a guy who a couple years back, they said his head's not in the right place, right? He's cocky. He thinks he deserves to be there. He hasn't proven it, all that stuff. And he then went out and proved it. Played extremely well with Portland. Played extremely well when called up with the national team. Uh, Injury derailed him. My hope for Eric Williamson is that Burhalter is going to run an MLS camp for teams that don't make for players on teams that don't make the playoffs uh, between now and the World Cup. My hope, not that I'm hoping Portland doesn't make the playoffs, Rocky. Don't get me wrong. My hope is that Williamson gets into that camp uh, or is able to participate and then works his way into uh, a World Cup roster because not only can he be of use now but he could be of use in 2026 as well if he keeps progressing. Want to say hello to Carlington Clark? Hi, thanks for joining us. Let us know where you're jumping in from and how you heard about us, Carlington. First time I've seen your name in the chat. So welcome, welcome. Um, And we've got a lot of great comments, guys. This is fantastic. So Connor even says, I watched a lot of the Asian qualifying and Japan were not to be taken lightly. No, they have been... Great. Japan, I liken them to the United States. The U.S. got to host World Cup 94. They took a lot of that investment, turned it into the MLS, and has been producing better and better talent year over year. Same thing when Japan and Korea got the O2 World Cup. Japan and Korea have used that as their springboard as well. So Japan is playing really well. And Connor goes on to say Saudi Arabia is not to be taken lightly either. Finished first in their group in Asian qualifying. So, yeah, these opponents are the perfect ones for the U.S. to be playing, to be having these friendly matches, to get used to that Asian style, especially with them having a game against Iran, the final game of their group stage. And that could be a must-win game depending on how the early results go. So this is excellent scheduling. Um, I like Dan Geringer's comment here. I'd go with Sargent. He's got more experience against EPL and similar level players. And those small details are critical in World Cup play. So I think Sargent might be edging into the starting spot, but again, it's going to come down to form. It's going to come down to uh, who's who's best suited for Burhalter's system on that day. But, you know, if they need a guy who is, depending on how the Saudi Arabia game goes, if they can't play Burhalter's system, then they're going to just have to pull in uh, a Vasquez or a Peafock and just say, 60th minute, tie game, down a goal, whatever, like go Hulk smash, go jump in, make runs, make slashing runs, make direct runs, whatever it, whatever they need at that time. Or depending on his injuries and how teams are going to play, maybe Pulisic, that super sub off the bench. So uh, let's continue looking at some of the U.S. Japan notes that I got here. Um, like I said, some of the words that I've heard to describe them in the media lately, uninspired, abysmal, lackluster, worrying. But what I do want to address is a lot of people are blaming Burhalter and specifically Greg Burhalter's system uh, that the U.S. wants to play out of the back, build possession. And it's too difficult for these players to learn or they don't have time to learn a difficult system or it's not effective against better play. Uh, I got a lot of thoughts on that because I don't think it's the system. At least you can't blame the system at this point, right? Berhalter purposely did not make adjustments in this game, right? He changed players and wanted to see who could play in that system against a pressing Japanese team. Again, my opinion, I'm not basing this on, on any sort of 
comments made by him or, or any other reporting that I've heard. But in my opinion, if I'm trying to prep my team to work on the finer points of this possession-based system, I'm not going to use the first friendly match to say, oh gosh, we got to adjust and, and figure out how we can beat Japan. No, the goal is not to beat Japan. The goal is to fine-tune your game plan and then unleash it against Saudi Arabia. And as much as fans want the United States to go out and win every game ever all the time, because that's what fans do, and I'm not going to fault them for that, there's a bigger picture here, right? And we're always building to that game against Wales. Now, the other thing, Japan pressed high, which is the perfect counter to a build-from-the-back system. If we see this in the World Cup, Burhalter will make adjustments. There will be earlier substitutions. Uh, there will be different lineups. I'm confident that he will do that. He's smart enough to do that. Let's not take shots at Burhalter's intelligence. Now, the system itself, I think, has a very high ceiling. Like, the best teams can beat you with possession. But it's hard to implement. And this is kind of where some of the, the actual good arguments come in, is that it's hard to implement this very possession-based system that requires a lot of working together, that requires a lot of film sessions, classroom work, etc., when you have limited international camps, when you have half your roster in Europe and half your roster in the United States and Canada, right? Like it's difficult to get everyone together to do that. And there was a lot of talk after the 2018 World Cup where France won the World Cup, essentially playing a bunker and counter style. You had Paul Pogba sitting deep and then just spraying balls forward, right? And letting Griezmann run onto a lot of them. And it worked their way to a World Cup title. Now, maybe Burhalter is trying to get ahead of that curve because teams who are going to want a bunker, uh, you beat them by having a possession, right? And picking them apart and playing in crosses and having possession. And we've seen it work in CONCACAF, right? Despite what happened during World Cup qualifying, remember, the goal is to qualify, not win every game in qualifying. Won the Gold Cup, won the Nations League, qualified for the World Cup. Like, it it works in CONCACAF because we have a higher talent level as well. That's the other criticism. Is it only working at home because we're ta more talented? We'll see how it shakes out, right? So I'm going to leave that as far as, as tactics and things to look out for. The next match is tomorrow, Tuesday the 27th against Saudi Arabia, uh, 1 p.m. Central, I believe. We are going to see Pulisic and Pepe start, uh, and and I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to root for Pepe. I hope he does well, but I'm not going to be surprised if he gets pulled off in 45 minutes and, and on comes Sargent. Uh, the one other thing we got to mention, DeAndre Yedlin, the only player in this pool who has any World Cup experience going back to 2014. Um, and the, my last note on this one is I would be I would be shocked if the U.S. Soccer Federation didn't arrange some sort of like closed door friendly getting into getting into late October, maybe one line, one final little little prep thing here. Um, also reminding everyone, make sure you like and subscribe to the channel because Mike is going to do another GameCast host chat host tomorrow for us saudi arabia so make sure you join us at one o'clock and you can join the chat just like we're doing here tonight so let's let's get a couple comments and we'll move on to canada here connor says the problem with the u.s roster is that we have too many mls guys no knock on the league but teams like argentina and brazil only have two to three players from their domestic league and the rest are abroad that's an interesting take connor and and i think this is this argument is kind of being shown less and less to be true that 
that MLS players are less than European players. We've seen we see guys like Jordan Morris, Walker Zimmerman, Miles Robinson, Paul Ariola, guys like that who are very very good in MLS who can cut it at the international level and for one reason or another never got the opportunity to go overseas. When Morris and Ariola did go overseas, they ended up picking up injuries and Morris even said he's like I like playing in Seattle. Like I, I had my I had my opportunity and I came back. And you want to go back further, you had guys like Donovan and Dempsey who were still playing domestically and carrying that team to the knockout stages. So I, I'm not going to totally disagree with you, Connor, but I do think that argument is losing a little bit of its uh, shine and is not as easy for uh, for other criticism or, or other crit- critics of Greg Berhalter and the U.S. Soccer Federation to use. And finally, we got RBI Red Bull Insider jumping in the chat. What up, RBI? Great to have you with us tonight. So that was the U.S. game. Let's just scroll down and look at a few more of the stats um, as we get into uh, our Canada wrap-up. And here's what's interesting. The U.S. won a few more duels here than Japan did, but Japan won most tackles. In fact, the U.S. had, I think, eight turnovers in the first half in their own half. So that, is, that was, I think, an all-time high for the U.S. men's national team. Um, you can see the shooting breakdown. The U.S. was not getting any chances in and around the box, but Japan was all over the 18. Um, we're looking, again, at some of the shooting statistics here, some of the passing statistics and breakdowns, not the best passing game from the U.S., and then looking at the possession. There we go. Now let's move on to Qatar versus Canada. And here, great comment here by Angus McCorder. A big part of the reason why Saudi Arabia is not better is because domestic players are not allowed to compete internationally. I had no idea about that rule. Is that is that a federation rule? Is that a Saudi Arabia like law uh, type of thing? Um, but that is really interesting. But now that you mention it, yeah, you don't really see you know, looking at English rosters, Italian rosters, you know, some of the bigger leagues or even some of the middle tier leagues around Europe, South America, the U.S., you don't see any Saudi Arabian players. That's really interesting that you bring that up, Angus. Thanks for letting us know. Um, I know we've seen a number of higher profile players, most notably Jovinko going over to play in Saudi Arabia after his career. Um, but that is interesting that Saudi Arabia doesn't have that sort of thing. Thanks for pointing that out. But now let's look at Canada. Canada ends up on the other side of the 2-0 victory in their tune-up match. Kyle Laren gets a goal in the fourth minute. Jonathan David in the 13th minute. And Canada seems to be in decent shape as they move into their next match against Uruguay. Uh, their starting lineup. You had Borjan in goal. Back line of Miller, Vittoria, and Johnston. Um, middle midfield of four. Adekube, Estacchio, Piet, and Hoylet. You had Davies kind of playing that free-roaming attacking player. And then Laren and David up top the two goal scorers. What a concept. Your strikers score goals. Amazing how that works, USMNT. Anyway, Canada, I didn't get to watch this game, but looking at the statistics and kind of hearing a little bit about it, Canada was very much in control of the game. Cotter's better than than people think. And if you remember back in 2021 in the Gold Cup, the Gold Cup invited Cotter to come play with over here, and, and they advanced the semifinals falling with the United States 1-0. They ended up two wins and a draw on their group stage. And every player in Qatar, on Qatar's national team 
plays in the Qatar domestic league. So even though they're not all on the same team in the league, there's a lot of continuity, a lot of familiarity, and that is going to prove valuable for them in the World Cup. That's almost like the NCAA comparison that I always make. The the mid-major team that starts four seniors and a juniors going up against the Blue Blood that has you know two freshmen and, and three sophomores uh, who are just McDonald's All-Americans, right? And then that mid-major pulls off the big upset. So I think that's what Qatar can can kind of hope for is that their cohesiveness, their style of play, uh, and their just understanding of playing with each other can carry them. But anyway, this is Canada. So Canada, too, also has a little bit of health that they need to address. They've had a few guys out with some knocks. But Canada, similar to the United States, is looking for that non-CONCACAF competition. They needed to play a team from the Asian Federation. Uh, I Maybe not Asia. I forget who else is in the group. Belgium, Morocco, and I forget the fourth team. But they're going to need this varied competition to kind of expose them to some different styles of play and talent. Now, Canada's next match, also tomorrow, September 27th, against Uruguay. Apparently, Uruguay is a good uh, opponent with the U.S. playing them as well uh, to get people prepped for uh, for the World Cup. Now, Red Bull Insider says, great win by Canada. I didn't watch the game, but it looked like Canada dominated. Dominated. I'm with you, and we'll look at some of the statistics in a second. And Angus McCorder says, Canada played very well. I thought Qatar was supposed to be better, but I guess they are an unknown quantity. I think there is a little bit of an unknown quantity, um, again, because all of their international players play domestically, but they're starting to break out onto that world stage. And isn't that isn't that the point of, of giving them the World Cup? We gave Qatar the World Cup so that they could develop soccer and and help build up soccer in the Middle East and in the Asian Federation. Isn't that why we gave them the World Cup? You got you're all laughing, right? You guys know what I'm getting at here. Okay, great. Enough of my uh, my sarcasm there, laying it on thick. And thank you, Connor. Yes, Serbia is the fourth team in Canada's group. So Canada, Serbia, Belgium, and Morocco. So now let's take a look at some of these statistics in Canada's two nothing. A victory here. Canada was 60% of the possession. Well played by Canada. That definite four midfielder group maintained possession. And let's take a look when we get down to the passing to see what the stats are in the middle third. 638 passes with 92% accuracy. That is insane. I don't think I have ever seen a game where there's over 92, 90% passing, low 92% completion. That's that's wild for Canada. Let's see how they spread it around when we get down a little further here. Um, three offsides and corner kicks, six. Eh, so usually I look at corner kicks to see if a team is really pushing, getting into those uh, deep spaces behind some of the defenders. Canada only winning uh, six corners, pretty good. But teams are starting to cross the ball a lot earlier than getting stuck into the corner, so... Uh, I might have to change my thinking on that one. But as we're getting down to to some of the passing numbers here, Canada's passing in the final third, 82.6%. And that definitely plays into what Brother BKL is saying about Qatar. Counterattack. When he watches the Canada formation, they play as counterattack, defend the ball, pressing, and Qatar is a solid lineup. Uh, though they play like defense without the counterattack. So um, thanks, Brother BKL. I'm trying to, let me try and parse that out um, so I can understand what you're saying there. Like 
yeah, Qatar was definitely sitting back. They didn't have their usual counterattack in this game. I think that's what you're trying to say. And, and it's well put. If you look at these passing numbers, right, Canada had 82% passing in the final third. That's insane. Teams don't even have that in their defensive third when they're just knocking the ball around. That is wild. And here's the possession metrics at the five-minute intervals for Canada. So Canada with a dominant, dominant performance gets the 2-0 victory. And at the end of the day, isn't that what you want? Get the win and move on to the next game. Speaking of moving on, we are going to take our halftime break now. Uh, This week, no MLS action, no Chicago Fire recap. So we're just going to take a short break. We want to make sure we thank our sponsor, John Donovan and Skira Icelandic Spring Water, available at your local 7-Eleven. Go out, pour yourself a drink. We'll be back in about 30 seconds, everybody. Thanks. This MLS Weekly Recap is sponsored by Skira Icelandic Spring Water, available at your local 7-Eleven. Icelandic for clear, Skira water comes from a spring in a nature preserve in Iceland with naturally low mineral content. This isn't your average water. Clearly, yes, pun intended, it's one of the best. Get some Skira today at your local 7-Eleven. All right, soccer fans, welcome back to the second half of Sons of a Pitch Soccer Central's weekly recap. We went international for the first half of the show, and we're going to bring it back kind of domestic. Talking Major League Soccer and the League's Cup showcase against teams from Liga MX. Again, a big shout out to our sponsor, Skira Icelandic Spring Water, and one of our oldest and biggest supporters here, John Donovan, with everything that we do. John, Chicago Fire are out of the playoffs. We can stop pulling out the hair of our heads and, and screaming and ranting, and, and now we can look forward to their offseason moves. So I'll, I'll leave you with that. Maybe we can just sit back and enjoy the last two games of the season knowing that they don't matter. <laughs> anyway, if you also want to support the show, viewers and listeners, the, the best thing you can do is just share the link, share share the podcast, share the video, Go find us on goals.tv, G-O-L-Z.tv. Watch a few videos over there. Let the guys over at Goals TV know that you love our content, that you want to see Sons of a Pitch Soccer Central featured, uh, and, and we'll work with them on adding more content to their webpage as well. You can also click an ad. Let the ads play. Throws a few pennies our way and does nothing for you guys, right? Easy, easy stuff to help support the show. And if you want to take a big step forward, you can give us a super chat or a super thanks via YouTube, one of those paid for comments, if you will, as well as uh, reach out to us at Sons of a Pitch Soccer Central at Gmail or Sons of a Pitch. <laughs> my goodness, I can't even remember it. Sons of a Pitch Soccer at gmail.com. Can you tell it's been a long day for me? Or at uh, Twitter at SOP Soccer. Thank you guys for supporting us through all of that. Now, let's take a quick look at the MLS teams that were in action over on the League's Cup Showcase. We had FC Cincinnati hosting and defeating Chivas Guadalajara 3-1. Nashville plays Club America to a 3-3 draw in regulation and then defeats them 4-2 on penalties. And RSL falls to Atlas Atlas Two to one in Salt Lake. So three games this week for the League's Cup showcase. We had a few over the over weeks past. I think this is a really cool thing 
because you have MLS clubs who don't get the exposure. You've got your domestic league, you've got U.S. Open Cup, and then you've got CONCACAF Champions League, where if you want to look at teams that have uh, – you want to look at Europe, right? That's the model. So you have Champions League, you have Europa League, and I think there's even a continental league below that. There's different ways to get in and qualify in advance. They get a lot of exposure, a lot of games. Every domestic league has their uh, domestic league, their domestic tournament, and at least in England, they have a, another tournament, right? So there's a lot of soccer. There's a lot of exposure. There's a lot of TV money. So for the League's Cup to start to grow and see regular matchups between MLS and Liga MX, it's only going to serve to improve uh, Major League Soccer. And I think eventually... It's only fair that you bring in some Canadian Premier League teams to the League's Cup showcase and, and maybe have that be a separate tournament outside of CONCACAF Champions League where they're allowing teams from the Caribbean and Central America to play in there as well. So I think that would be really cool. As a fan, more soccer is always great. Uh, as a coach, maybe you don't want to see your guys playing a 34-match schedule and then another 20 games on top of it. Uh, but hopefully then that spurs change in the MLS to – loosen the salary cap, loosen some of the roster rules, things of that nature, and we can build out better qualifying rosters. Um, of note, in the FC Cincinnati game, Brandon Vasquez gets, I think, the second goal for Cincinnati. Uh, again, giving Burhalter a little bit of something to think about, maybe calling him into the World Cup roster. But at this point, he hasn't been with the senior team, I don't believe. So I don't I don't see him getting in for a guy like Burhalter who values continuity and uh, cohesiveness and, and things like that, right? All right, Rocky, thanks for <laughs> thanks for jumping in and supporting our sponsor here. Don't be a dry rear dog. I let me let me uh, just kind of clean that up a little bit. Drink Skira. So thanks, man. Appreciate you jumping in. I know you enjoy your skier water up there in the Northwest. Uh, Red Bull Insider asks, why do they have all the games in the U.S.? Uh, let MLS teams travel to Mexico. I don't understand that. That is interesting, but you know what I think it is. I think we, it's all money, right? It's all going to come down to money and maybe it's facilities as well. The United States, these MLS clubs and teams, they have the stadiums, they have the facilities, teams want to travel. I mean, if I'm playing from another country in CONCACAF or even around the world, I, I'd love, I'd love to come play in the United States and hang out here for a few days and see what LA has got to offer. See what the Midwest has to Midwest, maybe not the Midwest. That's the Chicago boy in me plugging it there, but you know, spend a couple days in Nashville. That'd be a lot of fun. So maybe it is that these teams want to come up here. Maybe that's part of the TV rights. Maybe that's the MLS looking at Liga MX and saying, look, we don't need your money, but you need our money. Like we're the growing league. We have a huge population of Mexican Americans, uh, Latinos, Hispanic Americans from all over North America and South America here in the United States. They're getting into their local clubs as much as they are supporting their clubs from their country of origin or, or their family's country of origin. Like we we don't need Liga MX, but it the partnership can elevate both of them higher than what MLS could do by itself. So. Maybe that's why they're trying to do everything in the United States. It maybe it's a security thing. Maybe maybe it is a money thing. It might be cheaper TV broadcast. Who knows? But um, it it would be interesting 
as the league's cup expands and actually becomes a more formal tournament to see teams playing back and forth. I don't know if they're ever going to go to a, a home and home kind of format. Uh, but right now it's been a lot of fun. Want to say hello to Salvador Chavez. Hello. Thanks for joining us in the chat, my friend. Great to have you with us as always. What do you, what are you thinking of everything you've seen in the international window? Are you excited for the world cup? We've got some great comments going. Um, Angus McCorder also says, uh, the reason why these teams from Liga MX are coming to the United States must be because MLS teams travel like crazy compared to other countries. Yes, that I hadn't thought about the domestic travel schedule. You're absolutely right. Uh, th those games from, gosh, when did Miami play Vancouver? That is a road trip if there is a definition of a road trip. Uh, and then you've got teams like Nashville, to some extent, Minnesota, Chicago, and Kansas City, uh, and now St. Louis coming in who are smack in the middle of the country and are going back and forth to each coast. You're right. That travel schedule could be a big reason why these clubs uh, or why these League's Cup games are being played in the United States. Besides, just showcase. Let's have some fun, right? Um, and yeah, Red Bull Insider says they should have two legs, one in the U.S., one in Mexico. And Dan Geringer jumps in as well. Maybe they are setting it up for a home versus home setup. Possibly, possibly. Um, but at this point, I'm happy to see him coming in here. And, you know, maybe it's just the fact of the season, right? Like the MLS uh, is has been in full swing. It's still a little towards the beginning of the season. So maybe these clubs can't get away with it as much. But anyway, that is the League's Cup part of our MLS uh, review. We actually did have a live MLS game this week, as we quickly scroll past that Japan-USA score, let's just take that off the screen. We had the San Jose Earthquakes hosting the LA Galaxy. LA still on their playoff push. Uh, and the scoreline is, is a lot closer than, than the game was. Uh, LA was up 3-0, and then San Jose gets a penalty kick. I want to say in the 60 or 70-something minute. And then they get the second one in stoppage time to make the scoreline look respectable. But L.A. really kind of dominated this game. Uh, of note for the Galaxy here, you had Chicharito with his brace as well as uh, Brugman for the Galaxy getting one. Always nice to see other guys contributing. That's what you need when you're going to make a push, push for the playoffs. That's what you need if you want to make a run in the playoffs is your, your role-playing guys really stepping it up. So, yep, we had Christian Espinoza, 74th minute PK. Cardoso gets the stoppage time, second for San Jose, but not enough. Now, looking at the stats, the Galaxy had 55% possession, only four shots on goal, but three of them went in the back of the net, and that's what counts. Holy cow, what were we talking about, passing numbers? Is there something wrong with the MLS's uh, partner in statistics here? 91% passing accuracy? For the Galaxy, that that does not seem right on this night. Let's continue down. Look at a few more of the stats here. Corner kicks Galaxy only with six and one offside. So they must have been playing a lot centrally in that kind of zone 14 just outside the opposing uh, box. And if we're going to look at, at, the at the shooting, yep, there it is. Um, actually, this is uh, San Jose shooting on the right. The Galaxy shooting on the left. And as you can see, a lot of it right in the middle there. Not much coming from the wings on, on this Galaxy team. 
I want to go find these passing numbers because, again, look at that, 85% passing in the final third. This is wild. Something's got to have changed in the MLS uh, statistics community. If you guys have seen that, if you know it, let me know because these passing numbers that we're seeing on their website are absolutely wild, extremely high passing numbers. Hey, maybe that's just how good the game was, right? Let me know. Did you guys get to watch this game? Did you see it? Were, was there a lot of uh, a, a lot of complete passes in this one? Who knows? Hey, and speaking of LA, right on cue, Ramon Poblano jumps in. Hi, SOP Familia. Hi, Ramon. Glad you're here with us, man. And and I said right on cue, LA, not LAFC. Well. You know, we're, we're going to review the standings in a minute, but hey, you must have heard us talking about West Coast soccer, Ramon. Great to have you with us. Um, Connor jumps in and gives us the, uh, the the take of a lot of fans. I gave up on MLS for the season just for my sanity and mental health. The crew are done and not making the playoffs. Hey, that's like I said about the Chicago Fire, my hometown team, right? They're out of it. Just sit back and enjoy. Walk, you know, find some fun, right? Let's see... Uh, Let's see who the young players are that can step up. Is Cucho just going to go balls out and, and knock 2-3 in the next game? Who knows? <laughs> Ramon, what, what was this TIFO? I didn't get a chance to look it up. Um, let, let me know what this TIFO was that got Chicharito so fired up, right? Uh, Dan, we'll be at the Galaxy game this weekend. Oh, that's going to be an awesome one. Dan, Dan, who are they playing? Let us know. I haven't looked up the uh, the Galaxy schedule yet on that one. All right, so that was L.A. San Jose. L.A. making their playoff push. Let's take a look at the standings here. Starting in the Eastern Conference, uh, Philly in the top spot competing for the Supporter Shield. It's still close. Montreal technically could take that number one spot away from Philly, but doesn't look likely. Uh, two, three, and four, Montreal, Red Bull, and New York City. <laughs> technically, New York City has not clinched a playoff spot, but I don't see them falling all the way down to eighth place given the last couple of games around the bottom half of the playoff bracket in the Eastern conference is Orlando in fifth Cincinnati in sixth Miami in seventh. Now Connor has anointed the eighth place Columbus crew as done. Um, and they might be, they would have to win those last couple of games, get a little help from Cincinnati and Miami to lose uh, even Orlando to lose. Uh, they don't have the tiebreaker. As we know in MLS, tiebreaker is wins. And right now, Columbus has the least amount of wins of any team from fifth place through 10th place. Uh, their only positive is they've got a positive goal differential. And the only team in that 5 to 10 range with a positive goal differential is Cincinnati. So if they can win a couple of games. They'll own the tiebreaker maybe against Cincinnati and Atlanta. That's not good for Columbus. That's it. So Columbus might be done. Absolutely. Uh, Ramona says he's going to Portland to see LAFC versus Portland. That's going to be a great matchup. Uh, I would love to get out to Portland and catch a game there uh, and just every stadium like that. I, I'd love to. But Portland, for some reason, I got a little soft spot in my heart for Portland. That should be a great matchup. Enjoy it. Travel safe. Rep your team. Bring back three points for your for your guys in black and gold. Dan says, my kids won the Fusion Super Cup. We got two for one ticks, and most of the team will be there. L.A. playing, uh, or the Galaxy playing RSL. Dan, that's awesome, man. We're like, I'm, I'm thrilled for your kids, first of all, to, to win the Cup. I'm going to have to look up the Fusion Super Cup and see what it's like. But, yeah, you can't pass up two for one MLS tickets when the Galaxy are in town. That's, that's fantastic. 
Oh, the TIFO of Hernandez of Chicharito being a clown. Wow, I'm gonna have to go look that one up. RBI, thanks for thanks for letting me know that one. That will be whew. I mean, Chicharito doesn't need more motivation. He's that very kind of uh I guess kind of cerebral zen kind of guy, but that's it. Ramon gives a little more detail saying San Jose made a TIFO with two clowns on on one with Carson colors and the other with LAFC colors. Wow. San Jose. You know, that's that's great level of trolling there, but when when you are at the bottom of the table towards the bottom of the table in your conference, well, then again, maybe that's the only fun you're going to have. That's the only win you'll get is in the TFO competitions or and in the fan section. So go good for you. Good for you, San Jose. Um, hey, we've got Mia Mendez jumping in the chat. Hey, Nick, are you okay? Mia, I'm doing very well. Thank you. We're talking soccer. World Cup is less than two months away. I'm still trying to figure out how I can convince my IT department to stream the games on our projector in in my in the hall in my office. Uh, not like the actual hallway, but like our, our conference hall. Um, if I can figure that out, then I'll be better than okay, Mia. How are you? I hope you're enjoying it. Uh, enjoying all the international action right now. <laughs> and yes, RBI, have fun. Good for you, San Jose. Now let's take a look here at the Western Conference standings. We have LAFC atop the standings. They have clinched the number one seed in the Western Conference. They will get home field throughout the playoffs, assuming they can win more than one game. Uh, they've had some trouble of that in the past, as we know, but we don't have to bring that up while Ramon's in the chat. Next, we have Austin, Dallas, and Nashville rounding out the top half of the Western Conference. Uh, Nashville at 47 points should feel fairly secure about their playoff chances. However, five, six, and seven spots, LA, Portland, Minnesota are on 46 and 45 points. And then RSL is just outside in the eighth spot with 43 points. So depending on that RSL galaxy game that's coming up, there could be some movement towards the bottom Portland, LAFC, could be some movement towards the bottom with Portland, and we'll have to look at Minnesota's schedule and see. But I think Minnesota does not have it too easy, if I recall. I'm, I'm not banking on Vancouver or Seattle pushing up. And there's the aforementioned San Jose at the very bottom of the Western Conference. 31 points, 0.97 points per game. Is that wooden spoon worthy? Is that worst in the league worthy? We can look at the supporters shield standings here as put out by mlssoccer.com and as that page loads will san jose be below dc united of the eastern conference it's very suspenseful here guys as we're watching this here let's keep scrolling and no it is dc united with 27 points over 32 games currently in wooden spoon leading position here uh 0.84 points per game so Hey, maybe DC United can bounce back, get a few more points, jump above San Jose in the wooden spoon standings and not be the worst team. It's tough to see uh, an OG team, an original like DC winning wooden spoons, but that's the way the league rolls. Now we've got a few more comments in the chat here. Ramon says, if you're not first, you're last. Shake and bake, Ramon. Yes, one of one of Will Ferrell's 
more memorable characters. I don't know if I'd call it finer characters, but one of his more memorable characters, that's for sure. Hani Mukhtar edits, man. Great to see you jumping in. He says, I just met CJ Sapong. Hey, all right. How's CJ? How was meeting him? Is he a cool guy? Is he focused on the season? I mean, the guy's been around the league a lot, so definitely, uh, you know, he might be a little more chill than some other players at this point. Brother BKL says, DC, literally a wooden spoon. <laughs> Maybe not literally, but I know what you mean there, brother. And Dan Geringer, enjoy dinner, my friend. Great having you on. I'm getting very hungry. See you later, Dan. Uh, always a pleasure having you on the show, Dan. And and for everyone else, it's been great having you all with us. Ramon, Hani Mukhtar's edits, uh, Red Bull Insider, Mia Mendez, everyone. Connor, uh, RBI, Brother BKL, as well as Rocky, Talking to Woods, Angus McCorder. Thank you so much, especially for letting us know that, that pretty much Saudi Arabia's law is that their players cannot play internationally. So they're so every Saudi national players playing domestically in Saudi Arabia. Really interesting comments there. Oh, good to know that Hani uh, or that uh, CJ Sapong is a nice guy. Um, he had a rough go of it when he was here in Chicago. I don't think he liked playing here too much, but um, glad to know that he's doing well down there and is a very cool guy. And yes, Ramon, send us some pictures. We'll put them on the next stream uh, when you're at the game, Dan, if you're still listening on the podcast, make sure you send us some picks too, if you got them. Uh, and if you want, we can feature them on the next stream here next week. Well, with that, let's wind it up. If you want to continue to support the show, like subscribe, click an ad, let the ads roll. If you're watching afterwards, if you really want to help us out and help us reinvest into our show, especially as we um, expand into, into some other mediums. We're going to try and, and get a blog started again. Uh, we are over at goals.tv, G-O-L-Z.tv. Uh, you can look us up as one of the content creators in their catalog uh, and go just go check out all the different soccer content that's on the web. They're aggregating everything over there. And hey, if you, if you let them know that you're here for Sons of a Pitch and if you like what SOP Soccer Central is doing, uh, then they, they may reach out to us and, and have us do some dedicated stuff. Um, I can't promise that. There's nothing about that in our conversations, but isn't that the way it goes? Anyway, if you really want to help us out, um, super chats and super thanks are much appreciated, even if it's just 99 cents. Let us know that you like what we're doing and we'll keep it up. Or you can reach out to us for dedicated sponsorships or just to let us know, hey, keep it up. We're at Sons of a Pitch Soccer at gmail.com and at SOP Soccer on Twitter. So on behalf of my good friend and co-host and partner, Mike G, I'm Nick. Thank you so much for watching and for joining us here at Sons of a Pitch Soccer Central. Take care, everyone.
Hey, soccer fans, this is Nick once again for Sons of a Pitch Soccer Central with your post-credit scene. A little something extra I've been doing the last probably seven or eight weekly recaps. So if, if you want to learn a little bit more about me, my soccer history, some memorabilia that I have, make sure you go back and check that out. First of all, got to thank our good friend uh, and supporter of the show, Ramon Poblano, for throwing us a $5 Super Chat donation. Ramon, we really do appreciate it. It helps go to offset all of our costs. We reinvest every dollar we make here into the show. Um, but for my memorabilia tonight, I'm, I'm pulling out, since we were talking CONCACAF, part of my soccer collection, my Mexico soccer jersey uh, that I got way back when I was just graduating college. It was 2000. It was either winter of 06 or like January of 2007. Um, this was actually, funny story about this, it was actually a gift from uh, an ex-girlfriend of mine. Uh, I had I had graduated in December, she was down in Mexico on vacation, things had ended a little poorly, not yet ended, and I think she was either trying to make up, or end on good terms, or maybe apologize for some of, of her I'll call them shenanigans that I'm sure she had been doing in, in Mexico and, and around the holidays uh, when I was on my post-college vacation. Um, and to be perfectly honest, I never even unfolded this thing. I didn't even know it was a Rob Marquez jersey until about five minutes before I did the show and I unfolded it. So, um, yeah, this is just another piece of my collection. Obviously, some cool CONCACAF uh, soccer memorabilia as well as uh, some personal memories from a very, very interesting time of my life. With that, everyone, thanks for tuning in, for learning a little bit more about me, as well as supporting Sons of a Pitch Soccer Central. Take care.